As a developer and as a business owner, is there anything that keeps you up at night? I don't sleep. Everything <laughs> keeps me up at night. Any advice for someone just starting out? I'd like to welcome our listeners to the Bullis Beat podcast. I'm your guest host, Derek Miller, partner at the Bullis Company. The Bullis Company is New England's, uh, Northern New England's largest commercial real estate services firm with offices in Portland, Maine, as well as Manchester and Portsmouth, New Hampshire. We've been selling and leasing real estate in Maine and New Hampshire since 1975. This pod podcast is designed to provide insight into Maine's business movers and shakers. And speaking of business leaders, I'd like to welcome Josh Levy to the Bullis Beat. Josh is a co-founding principal of Waterstone Properties Group, the second largest retail developer in New England. Waterstone specializes in mixed-use developments, retail, healthcare, office, and logistics centers. Josh is actively involved in all facets of the company's nearly 70 commercial properties. In recent years, Josh has spearheaded Waterstone's mixed-use projects, uh, including Maine's own Rock Row in Greater Portland. Josh is actively involved in fostering partnerships with civic organizations, government officials, brokers, and tenants, uh, as well as co-chairman of the Board of Advisors for Newton Wellesley Hospital. Josh, I'm always fascinated with how people got their start in the business. Can you share your story to that end? Sure. I, uh, I grew up in Falmouth and uh, didn't have any family in real estate. My uh, dad and grandpa, I always joke, had gone in together on a condo investment once and did not work out. And that was about <laughs> the extent of it. And, um, but I had started a landscaping business when I was about 10 or 11 with another friend. And by the time we were 12 or 13, we had 10 or 12 friends working with us and um, just was obsessed with that. That's what I wanted to do. So I, I didn't want to go to college at the time. And I ended up meeting uh, Joel Wilder, who founded the Wilder Companies. And they were a huge enclosed mall developer and now um, really uh, great on the lifestyle development, et cetera. But um, he was saying, all right, kid, you got to go to college. What do you want to be when, uh, when you go? And um, I said, I want to be a real estate attorney then. And he said, no, you don't. And here's why. And, and no knock on that. But he said, you know, you should do what I do. And I was like, okay, how do I do what you do? And uh, he ended up, uh, it was great. He, he let me have an internship with his son, Tom, who's a great friend and partner with us now on uh, when I was uh, 17. So all four years of college, I interned uh, for them, uh, just abstracting leases and, and working on all of the, the grunt intern work, but loving it. Yeah. And I also uh, rented apartments to pay for school at the same time and was just bit with the bug. So ever since I was 17, I, I was lucky to have a real focus saying all I want to do is be a retail shopping center developer and then just kind of focused all of my energy towards that since then. Excellent, excellent. Um, who have been some of your biggest mentors, and, and you touched on it a bit there, or influences in the real estate business? So many. Um, People have just been incredible over the last 20 years, whether it's my partner, Neil Shalom, or Richard Barnett on the healthcare side, or, um, you know, I look up to my, my father and uh, others, and um, a lot of people, too many to list. But I'd say a really influential one would be uh, John McQueenie, who spent 55 years in the grocery development business, 25 years at Stop and Shop. He started stocking shelves and then ran their entire Superstore program for real estate plus Bradley's at the time, which they owned. And then he spent another 30 years developing for supermarkets. So uh, he has forgotten in one day more than I've learned in my whole life. Yeah. And he has just been a very special, incredible mentor, especially on uh, the supermarket development business. Yeah. Uh, somebody I've always looked up to. And your, your co-founder, Neil Shalom, he, he came over from Equity Industrial, is that correct? He, he started doing factory outlet center development in the 80s uh, in Kittery, made yep. in 1983. Um, as he said, he built that with just a clipboard and, uh, and a lot of perseverance um, and then did some other projects throughout the state. Then he transitioned into big box industrial and logistics. And then he and I co-founded uh, Waterstone in 2005. And that was, uh, you guys, when you first co-founded Waterstone, it was, uh, the, the focus was grocery anchored retail. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. Yep. We bought a shopping center in Carver, Mass, that we failed spectacularly. I mean, failed with fireworks. We yeah. lost every single tenant except Vanity Hair, Heidi and Rose, who are still with us today. We love them. And spent money along the way somehow. And yeah. um, eventually... 
we retrofitted it with the gym and the Dollar Tree and sold a piece to Tractor Supply. And, you know, 18 years later, I think, knock on wood, we may make money on it next year. Yeah. Um, but it got us in the game and it got us started. Yep. And we started building it from there. Excellent. Um, speaking of which, you, you know, you co-founded Waterstone at, at a very young age. Uh, have you ever over, had to overcome ageism or someone doubting your experience as a result? Absolutely. For the, uh, the majority of the beginning of yeah. the business, you know, we couldn't get a single return call from a tenant, but that was also because we were new. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, there are people that have really been doing this a long time, like 30, 40, 50 years, as you know, is not uncommon. So, um, I think just keeping my head down and being respectful and, and learning, cause that's really what I spent still today, just 20 years in learning and learning and trying to grow and catch up to some of these other folks. So. Yeah. When looking at new properties on the acquisition side, what are some keys that, that you and your partners look for? It depends on the project type, but if it's, let's say, mixed use, um, first of all, a community that wants and needs a project and is going to welcome it in, right? I mean, especially in New England, there's there are some towns where it's almost impossible to develop and we've tried before and not worth banging your head against the wall. But I think first a community that is looking for, you know, thoughtful, carefully crafted you know, mixed use projects. Um, then we look at the demographics and then we, we spend a lot of time, we run all the software models and we have the demographics and the site reports and Claritas and geofencing to, and the gap analysis of what sales potential is there and the leakage. But the most important thing is just boots on the ground. I mean, we're just, you know, go to parking lot and chat people up of, you know, Sometimes people get a little freaked out. Yeah, they're like, yeah. hey, what are you looking for? Where are you traveling to right now? What would be convenient for you? What's missing from the area? Talk to every store manager in the region. Just just old-fashioned, boots on the ground. Um, talking to people for, for hours and hours and hours, finding out what they need, and then trying to respond with that. So it's more about identifying an area that has a need and how we can deliver on it, not about us coming to an area and saying, hey, this is what we're going to do here. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys certainly have, have seemingly fostered a great relationship with uh, the town of Westbrook. Uh, Westbrook is a absolutely phenomenal community and uh, greater Westbrook is, as yeah. uh, we and Jerry Bryant like to say, but has been really, really welcoming and um, a great active partner in, in the Rock Road project. And, you know, we we spent a lot of time. We formed over 40 local and regional partnerships. Um, after this, I'm heading over to discover downtown Westbrook, uh, then also with My Place Teen Center, and then Visit Portland, and the Muskie School, uh, USM, and others. So it, it's been great understanding what people want to see happen, and then you know essentially partnering up to yeah. make that work. Helping them get there. Yeah. Um, you own properties all over the country. What is one thing that Maine, as a state, could do better or change to become more conducive to real estate development or business in general? I think there's a great openness to economic development and growth and certainly a lot of exciting things happening in the state. And I think COVID's only accelerated that, right? Yeah. Out of the top five states that saw uh, in migration, Maine, I think number three, and yep. especially in Southern Maine, but a lot of exciting things happening. We've been looking in other parts to the North as well and, and West. But I think one of the biggest things that there's a lot of local, whether that's city or town support on projects. I just think, um, an additional push at the state level and involvement where you have uh, groups coming and willing to invest to really help get behind projects and, and uh, push with all their resources. Yeah. And, 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 and some more regional planning that you do see in other areas like Arizona and Texas. Um, you know, I shouldn't talk in Massachusetts. It's very tough because it's very parochial for mm -hmm. each town. But some of the regional streamlined permitting and planning could really help a lot. Excellent. What was the most challenging project, and you may have already touched on it, that you've done thus far in your career? I wouldn't know where to start, but that would be one of them. Yeah. Carver Mass, Carver Marketplace. The very next one, we bought a piece of land in West Bridgewater, Mass, and stupidly put the traffic light in. First, we didn't have any tenants or any permits, and we bought the <laughs> land in our infinite wisdom. Uh, great location uh, to this day, but put the traffic light in first, and um, we struck out for you know, eight or nine years on that. But then eventually we ended up buying um, a glass place, a tire shop, a boat yard, relocating three families who were on this busy main drag or their kids were running out into the street to find new homes in another area of the community and assembled 12 acres and did a great project with Market Basket there that we're very proud of and um, 
kind of validated our yeah. initial thinking, but really serves that area. But uh, we've made way more mistakes than we've had. Yeah, had, sometimes uh, successes over time. But sometimes the sweet. It seems like, anyways, the sweetest projects are are the uh, most challenging. Yeah, at times because yeah. once you get there, it's uh, it's all the more rewarding. My favorite is um, Brickyard Square that we developed in um, Epping, New Hampshire, right at the crossroads between 101 and 125. Um, everybody said we were crazy when we bought that in 2006 and seven. And um, there's not, you know, not a lot of houses to paint in the one and three and five mile radius, which is what most retailers typically look at. So uh, when we were calling, you know, Ulta Beauty and PetSmart and all these companies from out of, out of the Northeast, they're saying, where? And we had to really help show them that, oh, look, this really serves the 24 cities and towns in between Portsmouth and Manchester. And, and eventually we ended up sticking with it and developing it. Uh, it was one of three shopping centers that were built during the, uh, the downturn, yep. the Great Recession. And um, it's about 300,000 square feet with 28 national, but also local and regional restaurants and shops. And, and it's been awesome for that area and the families there. So we're really proud and excited, of that one, excited about that one. But that was a very challenging one that we stuck with over the long term. Yeah, it's always uh, been, I would say, eye-opening to me uh, how far will folks are willing to travel in Maine and New Hampshire. So, right? like you, you, you referenced the demographics that most national retailers typically look for, and that alone can be a challenge because I feel like the the draw area is much like wider. Double in, the average commute time in yep. Maine and New Hampshire. People are willing to drive twice as far as they are in other parts of the country, which as you know, it's nothing to drive half hour, 45 minutes to get grocery. We're seeing Market Basket at Rock Rose pulling an hour and a half, right? Yep. But to go for entertainment or activities or events. And so we're really constantly educating uh, retailers or businesses from out of state that, you know, you gotta look beyond that traditional one, three, five mile ring. It's, oh. it's really, it's a more of a polygon trade area that gets established. And, For sure, uh, I, I we have uh, we have people we know up in Bangor that I uh, I always hear that every time they come down to Greater Portland, they're going to Market Basket or Whole Foods and yeah. and you know taking it back up there with them. You guys have, have been doing uh, a lot of curating, it seems like for, it's, it's almost like curating a city district, you know, especially with something like Rock Row, um, with the, the size and scale of that project. Um, so, you know, there, there's a lot of experience there. You know, how, uh, as, as it sits today, uh, you know, phase one is, is pretty much complete, I believe, uh, and, and fully leased up. Yeah, yeah, even just taking a quick step back. So that's it's 100 acres on I-95 on the turnpike between 47, exits 47 and 48. And it's an abandoned old quarry site, the old Pike Blue Rock uh, project that's partly in Westbrook, partly in, in Portland. And we bought that in October of 2017. And it was slated to be a Walmart shopping center with a sea of parking right up on the quarry. And um, we tore up the plans and went back to the drawing board. And, and that's where we spent, and I was there in the local Westbrook community and then Portland, uh, Gorham, Buxton, Falmouth, Cumberland, the whole area, three, four days a week. I'm lucky I'm still married. Yeah. Um, uh, just finding out what people want and need. And that's where we really started forming all of those 30 to 36 to 40 local partnerships as well. But we also went around the country on a research and discovery tour to 27 different cities and towns to look at mixed use projects what works, what doesn't work, what can we bring back to bear uh, here? And that, that was really the birth of Rock Row, which in total will be close to 3 million square feet. It's a $700 million project. Um, one misnomer is that it's a shopping center. I think we're about five to 7% of it is actually retail. Mm -hmm. The rest is office, lab space, incubator, healthcare, entertainment, um, community spaces, residential. And so, uh, sorry, long-winded way. No, of, no, we opened the first phase, which has been a huge success. That's really the neighborhood, community-based portion. So that's with the Market Basket, REI, Chick-fil-A, Starbucks, Chase Bank. That's convenient in and out up on Brighton Ave with the parking in front. And then all the way on the other side is where we broke ground on the medical and research campus that we're very excited about with New England Cancer Specialists, yep. who is the only affiliate of Dana-Farber in the country. And um, we're adding in a lot of other specialty, primary, um, urgent and other care into that facility. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, no, we're, we're uh, 
very happy to be part of uh, phase two with the, the CLT office building. Um, you know, that, that uh, construction method, I would say, is, is very unique. And then this is slated to be Maine's first uh, CLT office uh, property. Uh, what about that construction type kind of drew you guys to, to, to you know, using gotcha. that? As, yeah, as and property? you're talking about where, so that was phase one, market yep. basket, the medical campus, and then all of the magic in between is really that uh, urban mixed use lifestyle district. And yep. one of the anchors in there is we announced the state's first cross laminated timber office building that, yeah, we're very excited to be working with, with Derek. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. With you and your team uh, on that. And um, CLT, it's, it's, it's essentially a wood product, a wood panel product that's made from solid sewn timber. So cut from the same log and it's pieced together on the wide side of the panel, glued together at a perpendicular angle. And by putting it together at 90 degrees, it makes it uh, a lot more rigid. It adds rigidity and, and structural soundness to it. And it's been a really interesting product that's very sustainable, environmentally friendly, green, and provides a, a great work environment for employees. So that, that's what drew us to that. It's, to date, I think the, the only project has been a stairwell in a residential building. And uh, there's a new one at Peace Tradeport that's gone up a lot of others around the country. Uh, the IBC changed the building, building code to allow it to go up multiple stories. So that originally prompted us to look at it. And the more we learned about CLT, it, it's pretty exciting. I mean, yeah. um, it, it, uh, not just the, and it's, let's see, 66% lower heating and cooling costs, um, a lot better for forestry management in the way that it's created, much lower carbon footprint, deals great with carbon sequestration, uh, less foundations are needed because it's so much lighter. So in Southern Maine, we have a lot of clay and always dealing with ground improvements or piles and you can avoid that. But uh, we're excited about what happens within it because it, it creates a better, more productive place to work. Yeah, now the, the warmth, uh, just, you know, I got really excited about the project when we saw your early renderings uh, and those that, uh, you know, of themselves were more kind of themed off of other similar CLT projects around the company. Um, you know, your partners on the architectural side, EYP, have done a great job with, uh, you know, putting together the, the floor plates, the renderings. Uh, and, you know, we're certainly excited to, to see that come to fruition because it'd be a, a beautiful addition to the, the skyline there in, uh, in, in Westbrook. Yeah, we're, we're excited about it where, uh, especially where Harvard did a study. And I'll butcher the stats. So I won't give all the numbers, but... Um, they've studied that the, the benefits, the health benefits to employees where it improves concentration, improves happiness, which they measured, um, reduces depression, uh, and they found it adds $6,500 per employee per year in productivity uh, by being in this type of environment. So um, then you marry that with what we're creating around it by being in an exciting mixed-use environment that has 26 different food offerings and a half a dozen fitness boutiques and trail network and all these other assets and green space and a dog park and daycare, all those other aspects. Heinz did a, they're one of the largest office developers in the country, did a study that we think it adds about half an hour per day uh, on average on the year per employee of productivity by being in a mixed use environment like that. Yep. They found that employees come a little bit early they get coffee, they take a walk, or maybe they're bringing their dog. They stay a little bit later because they're meeting friends for dinner on site. And so when you marry that with the um, $6,500 a year of productivity within the CLT, you're talking about $10,000, $12,000 a year of productivity for employees. 100 employees, you're talking a million to a million and a half dollars a year in savings. And so um, my commercialists are a couple bucks a square foot more in rent. You're really finding the benefit of that. But it's really, we're about creating environments where employers can recruit and retain talent. Our customer is not necessarily the employer and the companies. We're very focused on the employees and what's going to get them to want to stay and really have this be an important part of their life as, as the lines get blurred between work and life and everything in between. Excellent. Uh, and then in terms of uh, some of the other components for phase two, and I know phase two is, is used kind of in air quotes because there's really like three phases or so within phase two. Um, you know, some of the other uh, portions that you guys are working on is, I, I believe, a, a multifamily uh, aspect to that, um, which is going to create that live work uh, mm -hmm. environment. Um, 
the uh, movie theater, I believe you guys. Uh, Cinemark. Cinemark. Yeah. Uh, so it, all that still moving forward. And, and, and yeah, we, we took about a two-year pause during COVID, and that really forced us, I mean, first of all, for the retail component and restaurants and entertainment, everything was on hold. But it yeah. forced us to go back and really rethink the plan and what does that look like in a post-COVID world and and how do we rethink the outdoor spaces, which is really the the energy and excitement and vibrancy of it and, and what our tenant mix is. And that's where we scale back some of the retail and have brought in a lot of these other elements. So um, we'll be announcing soon the first uh, 350 apartments, residences with uh, our partner, Cathartis Residential. They did Portwalk Place in Portsmouth, the Orpheum in Dover. Um, great, great group. And we'll be adding another four to 500 beyond that. Uh, it's also anchored by the food hall that we're very excited about. That's going to be a fiercely local and regional independent, basically incubator where people can start. You're probably looking at about a twenty to $30,000 of key money to, to open in a facility like that versus $600,000 to $2 million. I mean, you know, two and a half to start your own restaurant and commit to the bricks and mortar space. So we're really excited about what that can be to provide a unique food offering and incubation. Um, Cinemark movie theater with 12 screens uh, and then a lot of other exciting stuff to come. For sure. Uh, Element Hotel by Weston Marriott. Uh, the whole trail network and outdoor areas. And then a conference center as well, right? Right. So we opened a the 8,200-person music venue with Live Nation and Waterfront in 2019. And um, that was a great run. I mean, that brought people in from as far away as Fairfield, um, Canada, New York City, Philadelphia, and really just electrified the project, right, with Anderson Pack and Buddy Guy, Kenny Wayne Shepherd, and and we made a lot of mistakes as well, and especially initially in, in uh, how we handled the sound and the traffic. But we started to really work out the kinks towards the end and, and appreciate the area neighborhoods, you know, rolling with us on yep. that and, and have tried to be a good neighbor. Unfortunately, we had to cancel Brad Paisley and um, Steve Miller and others during COVID. But that was always a proof of concept. And yep. it worked. So we, our intention was always with the city of Westbrook to enclose the venue and make that year-round. Um, but most importantly, we've, we've announced the convention center for there, which is, uh, as we've understood, a really big need and can be an enormous economic driver to the entire region. So we're very excited about focusing on the convention center side and bringing that to the project in conjunction with the city, the region, and the state. Excellent. Well, I'm sure we'll come back to Rock Road just because you and I love talking yeah, about sorry, it. Yeah, sorry, I can talk forever no, no, about well, that. And, and, and yeah. uh, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, but we, uh, many listeners uh, of, the, of the Bullis Beat are aspiring developers. Uh, any advice for someone just starting out? Oh, man, where to start? Um, Learn from your mistakes carefully, I yep. imagine. Yeah. Great to make them. Don't, don't repeat yeah. them. Uh, yeah. Be willing to put in the work. I mean, I, I've always believed you make your own luck and just you've got to be willing to work Put in the hours. Just it's it's a lot of hard work, and be willing to put your nose to the grindstone. And um, you know, when you, when you're working, I, I found that blocking time is one of the best strategies. Where if you think it's going to take an hour to do a, a lease or a purchase and sale review or look at a, any type of project, no matter what you're doing, double the amount of time you think you need. Ditch your phone, turn off the computer, and just focus everything on that block of time, like a starting a fire with a magnifying glass, right? Just yep. bringing every, all your energy to that. Um, something that my partner Neil taught me early on was how you spend one minute to see if something's worth spending 30 minutes on or then two hours. I mean, you know, in real estate, yeah. um, it's very easy to chase a lot of projects. So you got to get good at, in my opinion, having a filter to be able to shuffle through that. Um, asking for help. There's a lot of, as we talked about, older mentors in the business that are really willing to help and uh, do that. But yeah, I, ju I just come back to really hard work and be willing to put in the time. Yeah. My, my football, it reminds me of something my football coach said when I was at Tufts. He said, uh, Tufts, he said, hard work. Uh, this is Bill Samko. Shout out. Uh, <laughs> he said, hard work guarantees you nothing, but without it, you don't have a chance. And that's, that's something that. That, that always kind of resonated that. with me. Uh, the other thing I'd say too, is just um, two other things would be Empathy, I think I've found, especially on the healthcare side, where with the oncology um, campus we're building, it's uh, really putting yourself in the patient's shoes, the staff's shoes, and trying to understand. And I think the same thing applies if you're doing 
retail or office or others, but putting yourself in the other person's shoes and, and their customer or guest's shoes and trying to um, have some empathy for their journey and what you can do to make that great. And yeah. then I think the results will speak for themselves if you stay focused on that. Not focused on making money. That's a, you have to look at the bottom line, the return on cost and all of that. But to me, that's a byproduct of paying really close attention to tending to the customer, to the core customer. Excellent. Um, as a developer and, and as a business owner, is there anything that keeps you up at night? <laughs> I don't sleep. Everything <laughs> keeps me up at night. Um, just as it's the uh, sense of urgency on these. I mean, I can't tell you how many stories, and we've experienced these too, but how many stories there are of Elise taking three years to negotiate and it's on the company's CEO's desk for signature and uh, some completely unrelated event happens and everything gets ripped up. And so... Uh, time kills deals is, you know, in our business. So I think just the sense of urgency, I think um, any loose ends that are uh, out there and what are we missing? What are we not thinking of? Who do we not have on the team that should be? What are competing projects up to? What, uh, is there anything changing in the regulatory environment? Um, not so much the financing side and interest rates. Those are things we can't really control or predict. But what keeps me up is the things we can control and are we doing, am I doing enough to, to do that? And then also our, our team, our people. I mean, uh, they are really our most important asset. And, and over the years, sometimes we've forgotten that too, right? And so making sure, uh, is everybody else, are we really understanding their true talents and building a platform around them and, and what do they need? So um, that keeps me up a lot too, making sure we're doing everything we can for people on our team and in our ecosystem with vendors and everybody else. Excellent. Uh, it seems as though we've turned a corner. Sorry, and uh, a newborn. Oh, no worries. <laughs> newborn's yeah, keeping yeah, us up a lot. For sure, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't have much experience uh, in the newborn. I have two Frenchies at home, Walter, Winston, hi. Uh, but, uh, yeah, my colleagues and some of my best friends tell me there's not much sleeping in those early years. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's all worth it. You yeah, have that to that's, that's to, a good but... up at night, I would say, yeah. versus uh, business keeping that's you up at problem. night. That's a good problem. Yeah, yeah, good problem to have. Yeah. Um, obviously, we're, we're kind of, uh, it's, as, uh, as we're filming this, it's, it's April 2022. Um, it seems as though we've kind of turned a corner here in the United States with, with COVID-19. Obviously, that was a big focus for the past, uh, call it two years. Um, you know, what, what are some building trends or design changes that you've seen as a result of, of the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, great question. Um, uh, reduction in office size and focus on the connections to nature and the outdoors and how people work in that blending of, of work and play in their life. Uh, on the food and beverage and retail side, we're thinking we've redesigned this project, for instance, and others to make sure we have more outdoor areas. Um, you know, Uber Eats, DoorDash, delivery, being able to even just, you know, a parent coming to pick up their food for takeout, that was already happening. This is accelerated. We provide a convenient experience for them. Uh, on the healthcare side, it's almost endless, right? From UV lights in the uh, duct work and advanced HEPA filtration, um, having different egress and access as you come in, touchless sensors and everything else, um, being uh, embracing the remote um, uh, healthcare side, right? And uh, telemedicine that's taken off. Um, but then there's also been a focus on uh, what I call the worried well, right? People are paying much more attention to their health coming out of COVID. So we've been working with folks on, for instance, the food is medicine program at our medical campus. Not only how that ties into food scarcity in the community, but how that ties into healing and health and wellness. And so I think a greater focus on health and wellness, which is something we've been trying to really lean into and embrace on our projects as well. And that takes many forms. Yeah. And how many, uh, just, uh, you know, knowing you guys are in, in uh, the throes of it with the medical campus, you know, how many times uh, since, you know, that uh, was planned, have you guys had to kind of go back to the drawing board as a function of these changing For, trends? As, as of this week, 42 design, 42 layout changes from yep. the very beginning in partnership with our lead anchor, New England Cancer, um, who's been great. What is the best way to lay this out and orient it? Because we're trying to provide... I want to say one-stop shopping, but one-stop shopping so you don't have to drive all over Southern Maine for your healthcare services, right? Yep. If you go and uh, you're there and you need labs drawn or you need uh, an MRI or PET, 
right, or CT scan, to be able to get all that right there, see your primary care provider, have specialty practices there. But a lot of the design changes have been around how do we make it feel less clinical, less sterile, less hospital-like, right? So not just for cancer, but for a lot of the other modalities there, you know, how do you reduce some of the stress levels when yeah. you drive in? So having the right landscaping, clear wayfinding, sensitivity training for our valet that we're gonna do, a covered canopy for inclement weather, a connection to the covered parking deck, but then also, you know, the partnership with Portland Trails and connecting to that. Uh, outdoor healing gardens, we've worked on, uh, I'm really excited that we're gonna shamelessly clone what Yale New Haven did and have three outdoor infusion bays. So, you know, God forbid you can forget for a little while why you're even there and your family can be there and you can have your dog or your son walks out on their cell phone and takes a walk through the trails. And so we've been looking, that's led to a lot of the changes as well um, as we try to make this an environment for not just basically getting away from sick care and turning it into health care and making an environment for wellness that people want to go in, not just for treatment and, and for uh, health care or sick reasons, but bring the community in for other reasons, too. That's so excellent. we're really excited about what's happening there and where we can take it. And uh, we're already um, oversubscribed with a couple people looking at the last chunk of space. So um, we're trying to find other areas to expand this on campus now, too, and excellent. create something unique and distinct that tends to the, sorry, could go on forever, no, but no, tends is... to the patient and caregiver experience because everybody always forgets about that. But also there's a great book called um, Patients Come Second, and that's really paying attention to nurses, staff, and physicians and making sure we do everything we can. And we play our small part, right? A lot of these clinical providers are incredible with their culture and their uh, employee engagement and their clinical care, but can we provide an area for respect for um, outdoor gardens or a Starbucks right nearby or an area to go recharge your batteries. And so we're constantly thinking about how we, we tend to those different uh, customers, as you would say. Yeah, no, and, and at the center of it all, we've got one of the, one of the most beautiful blue uh, quarries I, I've ever seen. I, if, for those of you uh, that haven't been over to Rock Row yet, I highly recommend going over and checking out what Josh and his team have, have done there. Uh, but one of the most striking things for me when I got over there and, and looked down in the quarry was just that, uh, the, you know, beautiful green-blue water. That, it's that, that's unbelievable. In it's, it it's a 26-acre hole in the ground, 400 feet deep with a mile around. So we're doing trails around it. And um, we're really excited to, to program that and have different shows and events and tree lightings where you could float it in the middle of the quarry lake because it's filling up with this, this yeah. water. And uh, we'll stop at probably about 40 to 60 feet from the surface so we can project onto the rock walls. You could have artists, local artists sketching on iPads or schools and it shows up on the quarry and we leave it there for a week and have a con contest around it. And so it's almost endless. And then the, the really exciting question for us and we've been working with, with Westbrook City staff is can we get the public in and out of there safely? Because then that opens up um, you know, sailing, pond hockey tournaments, skating, uh, REI wants to do kayaking in the quarry. So we're really excited about having this be a unique dynamic venue that you, you really can't get anywhere else. That's going to be our calling card. And how do you make it not just a big draw for the project, but how do you make it a cultural amenity for the whole region that, that boosts tourism and spending and, and something that we can all be proud of as a cultural asset? So to that end, in terms of getting folks in and out, are you thinking like a marina type thing or, or what, I guess, what strategies are you guys looking at to, to make it more of, a, I would say, uh, less of a vista and more of an active part yeah, great of, question. of the project? Because there's a lot you can do from a looking at it or interacting yeah. point of view, but if you can get down in there. So there's an enormous road that went all the way to the bottom that all the heavy excavation equipment was using. So we have that going for us. It would be finding a second means of egress uh, that works making sure it's structurally sound. Um, we were originally gonna get people all the way down and in, but then you're looking also at reinforcing essentially a mile worth yeah. of quarry wall. Now that we're talking about just a section of it to the water's edge, where we would have that type of, you know, you could have a barge there or other things, um, that's a lot more achievable and feasible. Um, and it's a chance to, to breathe some life back into this depleted asset that was, you know, 
from a sustainability point of view, taken from in mind, right? I mean, the aggregate for the turnpike came from that, the, the runway of that, the jet port, some of that came from this quarry, but how do we breathe some new life into it? How do we harness some of the environmental energy that's there and turn it into a cultural community asset that, that's exciting? And if we do that right, I think, uh, you know, the restaurants and everybody else that are right there along it will benefit too. For sure, and and so the the quarry was actively pumped out to keep it from from filling Bone up. Bone dry when we bought it, and we shut the pumps off, and it's about a third full right now. So, what is the uh, when do you anticipate it being at at the uh, the two, level you two guys and a half want? years is the estimate. Excellent. So we're probably down to two years now. Cool. Yeah. No, it's very very exciting. And we're opening uh, the first park on it right now. It's going to be this nice parklet with trails across from where Cowbell. Uh, sports and burger bar is going yep and uh, we're gonna have a nice trailhead there that will eventually lead to the quarry trail and then we have uh, a network of five different trails on site that will then connect into downtown Westbrook Stroud water area and the rest of the 70 miles of Portland trail network that's around us that's something that's been very important to us from day one and and the the one of my one of my favorite things that we've been waiting on or you guys have been waiting on is is the uh the rock from for the middle of the cul-de-sac uh, yes with the rock row logo that we was a original call last night yeah, about that that you were <laughs> so that was originally you guys were thinking going to come from the quarry but logistical challenges i think were well with that with shaw brothers we've, we've saved a bunch of the rock and yeah. um i think we have an opportunity to sprinkle that into some different architectural elements we we still have not figured out all of our uh we're going through the process right now, yeah. the wayfinding signage and where do you where do you meet Rock Row? Where does Rock Row meet you from an exterior signage point of view? Is uh, is that a boulder that we carve it into, right? Rock Row established 1880 and 2020, you know, and uh, we're, we're going through all of that right now. It's exciting. It's, it's exciting. You got to, yeah. we were trying to figure out how to make it a real neighborhood and destination, but... There's a lot that goes into that. Yeah, being able to, to use the rock from, from the quarry would be, would be great. Um, and one of the other, uh, I would say, new tenants that you guys had opened up to, to great fanfare uh, in, in phase one is, is Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Uh, that, that obviously was, was so well received, it, it created challenges for you guys logistically. Um, you know, how uh, do, you, do you mitigate when, when you know, some of your tenants are so successful that uh, you've got parking challenges or yeah. traffic challenges on your hand. Good problem to have, right? Yeah. But we were all shocked. I think Market Basket, us, Chick-fil-A, at, at how much uh, pent-up demand there was for it. They also had not opened their uh, interior seating yet either. Yeah. So that, that definitely was a factor. But we had a three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour wait that snaked all around Market Basket, all the way back into the old concert venue parking, and seven police details. Yeah. And it was probably the safest parking lot in America <laughs> at that point. But um, look, you know, it's been great. It was the number one most requested tenant we had and uh, um, has really been off to an unbelievable start. Yeah. No, Same yeah. thing with Starbucks, too, who we're, we're now talking about a second location on site with. Excellent. That, that's gone so well for him. Yeah, it was yeah. one of those things where I, I really wanted to go initially, but I had to wait till till the fanfare. It seems like things have kind of quieted down and circulation's back to normal in phase one. And we stumbled on it the first week, but we really got a handle on it. We got, got some great, a great team there. Was, yeah. And help. did you guys have to um, like for the police detail? Was that something that that uh, you know that seems to have been phased out? Obviously, with with just them managing the traffic of the yeah, center. Yeah, it, it's and, it's down to a great level. Shout out to Westbrook PD. Yeah. And city staff who has always been phenomenal, not just on the planning, but helping uh, businesses once they get open in the city or our project make sure it works. They, they, they really have been over backwards. It makes me wonder, I mean, obviously you guys have the space where you could accommodate that many people. It makes me wonder how these, these uh, you know, Chick once again, good problem to have, but how these Chick-fil-A stores would operate if you were just a standalone on like a, you know, an acre and a half site. Right. Uh, you know, where is all that traffic going to go? Look at Woober Mass, right? Yeah. That's a great example of 90, 95 right there, yeah. Um, but, you know, phase one off and, off and running uh, for sure. Um, is there any specific strategies that Waterstone uses to hedge against downturns? Yeah, we are very careful to phase our projects. This is a great example of not trying to boil the ocean, right? Do it in steps and always be mindful of what our basis is. I think if you sleep close to the floor, you're not going to get too hurt when you fall out of bed. So we're very careful about that. I like that and, 
we don't build a lot of things on spec either. It's very user and tenant driven. Um, and, and so to that end, you know, we've been in a period of, of almost unprecedented expansion at this point, uh, you know, not, not to uh, the, the blip that we, you know, had with, with the uh, brief recession uh, due to COVID-19 notwithstanding. Um, you know, I guess, where do you think we are in the real estate cycle now? And I guess, what do you see on the horizon uh, in the next two to five years? It's a great question, and I wish I had a crystal ball, but I do think if we look at the supply and demand factors and the growing population base, I think it's all local. It really depends on the, the take this market, for instance. Um, you know, grocery, that, that's an example, by the way, of a, a downturn strategy is very uh, cycle resistant and recession proof. So that, that's been a great anchor and draw. We think healthcare, while they face some challenges on the elective surgery side and, and a lot of the other high margin revenue that was paused for COVID, we think that's a huge need and only going to grow with, with an aging population, higher utilization rates, more access to insurance, and this enormous push to leave the hospitals, for the hospitals to move off campus closer to the communities and where the people are, and to do those in settings and amenitized environments that have more of a hospitality feel that people like. I think those are trends that are going to continue for a long time. We see a lot of retailers, even hospitals now for ambulatory surgery centers and integrated care facilities and others, even office tenants, looking at how to engage the outdoors and bring some of their experience outside of their front door and four walls. And so that's something that we are trying to encourage, push people to do. We have our design criteria manual where we try to um, make sure certain parameters are in place so it's not a free-for-all, right? But we also want to encourage creativity and people to bring their experience outside to the customer or for their employee or for their patient and staff. Maine is certainly a good place if you want to get people outside. That's, that's, that's right. Uh, and, Maine uh, especially, right, yeah, as a whole, yeah. I mean. And, and uh, certainly uh, the sine wave, I would say, you know, for, for boom times and then, um, you know, downturns here in Maine, I would say is, has traditionally been shallower than most, you know, i.e., you know, there's not as much. It doesn't get as overbuilt when, when things yeah. are, are, you know, uh, you know going like gangbusters. Uh, and therefore, you know, we don't have as, as much, uh, you know, I would say vacant space. You know, yeah, the once. barriers to entry are, and I think this is a lot of New England too. We're pretty lucky that we're insulated here uh, in the country that the barriers to entry are pretty high. So once you, there are less projects and competition in dead space like that, that we, uh, we haven't seen the same consolidation and, and leaving behind of empty storefronts and others that we've seen down in the south or other areas of, of the U.S., so phase two, uh, with phase one of, of, of Rock Row complete, um, you know, phase two, uh, we've touched on uh, here and there. I guess what, what about, what part of phase two are you most excited about from, uh, you know, not even just as a developer of the project, but someone that is going to be going there to, to, you know, live, work, and play someday? You're going to think I sound corny, but the, the feeling you get. When you, we always say we're after heart share, not market share, right? And um, when you walk out of, whether it's your apartment, your job at one of the retailers, you're finished dining with your family, or you're coming out of a healthcare appointment, and you turn on that street and you look to your left, what do you see? What do you feel and experience to your right? And, and th we're, this is very carefully considered. And what we're going for is that, that human element, the human energy, that street level energy, right? And, um, I'm most excited about how it's going to feel when you're at the plaza with your family or you're grabbing a drink with friends overlooking the quarry or, or you're here working or living. And um, I always say if it doesn't work out, I'll be living in the quarry, yeah. <laughs> in the bottom of the quarry. So <laughs> I'll really get the feeling then. Yeah. But, uh, but th the feeling that we're going for, um, for our guests, right? Our tenants are our customers. Their customers are our guests. Uh, and that, that also starts before you even come on site. So... We're continuing trying to listen and engage and improve on social media from people's homes, from their journey in. What is that experience like to when you get here, park, and, and walk out there with your family or friends, and what is, that, what is that experience like? So it's the experience blueprint that we're going to be constantly having delightfully surprising, fresh, innovative things happening. So no two trips are the same. Uh, this is not a shopping center. It's not even really a mixed-use project. It's really a destination and a place to to be instead of just go do what you need to do and leave that we want you to come and spend the whole day.
certainly I, I would say the the only project of this size and scale and that's that's ever really been contemplated you know and, and a true lifestyle center once it all comes to fruition with uh, the different elements that, that you've touched on and and you know so far you and your team have done a, a great job uh, you know as, as someone that is slightly biased sure. uh, you know curating essentially what is a, a city district there yes, in, it's in the largest economic development project in the state where other than there's a large turbine offshore project happening, yep. but Remy and USM did a study and including the convention center and Rock Row at full build out will add over 8,000 jobs on site, tax revenues to Westbrook of close to $6 million. They were currently 95, they were 95,000 when we bought it, but over five to $600 million in spending in the region. Um, for the state, way beyond just Cumberland County. So starting to get some of that up north and to the west. So the economic impact this can have is absolutely enormous. And that, that's what we're excited about. It's not just about what's happening within our four boundaries, but how can we affect in a positive manner everything around us? How can we partner with others too and, and help that grow? And, and that's where the partnerships with the city have been helpful, um, starting to form more with the state, with the Economic Development Office and the Governor's Office. And, and there's a lot of exciting places we can take this, and the impact can be absolutely uh, tremendous. Excellent. What is the best or most important lesson you've learned thus far in your career? Um, I'd say the best is to listen, right? We've, Two ears, one mouth, and a reason yep. to use them in that proportion. That was some great advice and a lesson I've learned. Are there any properties that you've sold that you regret? No, because we've been, by and large, a uh, buy or build and hold strategy. We're thinking very long term. We are not the group that comes in and just flips something. And uh, you see that in the projects we do, that we take a lot of pride in them and we want uh, it to be something that the whole area is proud of. So we've sold a few things over the years to keep our liquidity up. Um, yep. We have no outside partners. It's just Neil and myself. We have plowed all of our profits back in for the last 18 years. So we really eat our own cooking. And that's enabled us to be nimble too because yep. we can react and not have to answer to uh, you know, a huge corporation and shareholders and everything. It's, it's we're the ones at the end of the day holding the bag. So um, I think I'd regret more of the opportunities we didn't take advantage of next to our projects or ones that we didn't act quick enough or get done. So it's more all of the missed, missed opportunities and the opportunity cost there that uh, we, didn't, we didn't pull off. So to that end, I guess, is there a property that you didn't buy that you really wish you, you did? And what would that yeah, be? Yeah, uh, look, whether it's back in 2007, the old DML Auto used car shop in front, we were building this awesome project in Epping and we knew that was a great CVS location and we just couldn't pull the trigger on it and somebody else stepped in and, and made a great deal on that too. Uh, there was a large 30 acre site in downtown Boston that we could have bought during the downturn, this old, just contaminated brownfield that could have been absolutely incredible for the community there. And um, we looked at it and just, we couldn't, couldn't, couldn't pull the trigger. Gotcha. I wish we did. Those are two that I regret. I could go on for an hour on that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tufts and the alumni and the network of alumni were very uh, influential for me getting into the business. You graduated from Boston College. You know, how did that help guide you to where you are today? Yeah, it, it's, it's been great. It's a really strong network and sense of community camaraderie coming out of there. So it's great staying in touch with other fellow Eagles. It's, I think it's a really strong network in New England and has just kind of fostered a uh, or propelled and fanned the flames of an already, you know, curiosity uh, to just learn more, that intellectual curiosity coming out of there. For sure. Um, and, and there's some great, great programs um, for some of the um, real estate networks and others that they do a great job really staying in touch and keeping people together. So uh, I've been trying to take advantage of some of those. It seems like in, in greater Boston, you know, the, you, you hear a lot about uh, Boston College guys, Tufts, 
Tufts has a, a, a huge network in the in the real estate community down there, and then obviously Holy Cross. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I, I would say we're we're both fairly fortunate to have come from one of those three. Just you know, not that that's that's the uh, the only game in town by any means, but it seems like a lot of uh, the peers. In the, yeah, in the a lot of people community. ended up in the business in yeah. different forms too. So it's exciting. Yeah, yeah. especially we yeah you can work with folks whether it's on the brokerage side, uh, architecture side. Uh, it really takes a village to to pull off all of these projects. Yeah. Plus, my two sisters went there too, so that was a lot of that fun was... to be there at uh, close to the same time. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, what project is is Waterstone most focused on at this time? Right now, we are most focused on Rock Row. That has we have a lot of other projects going on, but that has an enormous amount of focus and attention, not just from us, but the 110, 120 people working on it when you factor in the architects and engineers and trail designers and uh, everything in between. Uh, so that, that has a, and it needs to have a real focus to get this done properly. Excellent. Well, we're glad to hear it as, as one of your, uh, your brokers on the Thank project. You. Yeah. You guys have been doing a great job. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you. Uh, so lastly, um, you, you just became a father uh, with, and now you have two boys. Uh, you know, how has that, uh, you know, changed your perspective on, on business? Can't, can't stop smiling automatically. Yeah, Lucas is just over two, and then Ethan is uh, nine weeks. So if I seem tired, that's why. Yeah. And uh, my wife, Erin, is amazing. Shout out to her. Uh, um, uh, I, I find myself thinking a lot more, two things a lot more about um, what would they think if I did something. Like before I uh, respond or say something or do something, like what would they think, you know? And what, what advice would I give them as their dad later on down the road? So I, I try to just make sure I do whatever they'd be proud of. That's nice. It's kind of like a North Star that yeah. holds you accountable to always doing the right thing and, uh, and, and handling things the right way if you can. Um, and then... Uh, the others is I'm just learning patience, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of trial by fire, but I think it's kind of, kind of uh, made me be a little bit more patient and, um, you know, realizing that everything in uh, their life is kind of going to happen developmentally before age five, right? And so now is the time to really be present. So trying hard to be just more present in there with them and that uh, they, don't, they don't care about real estate or dad's job is just, you know, is he there? So I just want to make sure I'm spending enough time with them and uh, enjoying every second of it. Excellent. Well, that's great. Yeah. Hopefully we get, uh, you know, rock row finished and, and they can, they'll have uh, quite the place to come up and, and visit when they, yeah, when they come to Maine. Very excited. We, we keep expanding it. So it's going to take longer and longer, but uh, can't wait to bring them up here. Hopefully, uh, Danny Shaw and the guys will let him play in some of the trucks this summer. That might be nice. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dump trucks. You know, yeah. Oh, you can't can't get enough. Trash truck, dump truck, and uh, um, excavator. That's his new word. Oh, yeah. perfect. <laughs> well, very fitting for the yeah. project. Um, well, Josh, thank you very much for being a guest today on the Bolus Beat, um, a Bolus Company podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Thank you. Um, you can learn more about Josh and Waterstone Property Group at the company's website, which is www.waterstonepg.com, um, on Facebook at Waterstone Properties Group, on Twitter at Waterstone, uh, and on Instagram at WaterstonePG. Uh, RockRow.com. And RockRow.com. Shamelessly plug that. Yeah. There we go. Uh, please be sure to visit us at www.bolus.com. Uh, and you can also find us at The Bolus Company on Facebook and LinkedIn and at The Bolus Company on Instagram and Twitter. In closing, I will sign off as the same way as our normal uh, host, Greg Bolus, does. The key to real estate is always outliving your debt. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Very nice spending time with you.